0: And today, folks, we are rewinding all the way back to February 14th, 2013. That's right, Valentine's Day of 2013. Uh, Almost four years, five years ago. It'll be uh, by this February. uh, So quite a while back. And this is uh, a show I selected today for a variety of reasons. This is uh, Raising Quail for Meat and Eggs with Moon Valley Prepper was the original episode. Now, Moon Valley Prepper... Ended up being, of course, Brad Davies, who started some of my workshops and become a good friend over the years. Was involved with a lot of the work we did with Perma Ethos Farm in West Virginia, and just just an all around great guy. And in meeting Brad multiple times, including actually like the first time I worked with him, where we did some quail processing and all, I I became aware of the true power of quail for the homesteader, specifically the small scale homesteader, the person homesteading in suburbia. The person homesteading in a place where they're just able to do what they're able to do barely because blue hairs drive around looking out of their window looking for something to bitch about to the HOA board and say this person parked their car in the street or they have the wrong color freaking mailbox or whatever the hell else it is. And certainly if they heard a rooster crowing or saw a chicken walking around they would lose their blue hair mind and, and go out and cause all kinds of problems. Because one of the biggest holes in suburban homesteading is the production of protein. It's one of the more difficult things to skin, and I really know of four ways to do it. One is with chickens. It is the least preferable method in my view because it requires the most getting away with it, so to speak, and has the most potential for problems. It also has an issue with space and time. Um, raising meat chickens, you're talking an 8- to 10-week process. They get rather large. They do tend to start making noise. They do tend to start creating orders if you do them at any scale. And if you don't do them at scale, let's say at least a, a couple dozen, it, it might not be really that it's worth doing. The other side is it's a, when you do that, it's a pretty big meat yield. So now you're into the confines of the house, and you're trying to figure out how to fit, you know, 20 or two dozen chickens into your freezer. I'm not saying it can't be done or it doesn't work. It does work. That's why I put it on the list of the four main ways I can think to do protein production. The next one I would put on that list would be aquaponics, because you can get a protein yield from your fish. Let's go back up to the chickens. You also get a protein yield from your egg. I don't want to leave that out because it applies to poultry in general. Um, So you do get eggs that can be a protein yield. So you can do backyard chickens, two, four, six, something like that, and get plenty of eggs. But then you're into all the problems with blue-haired old ladies and things like that. So now we move on to aquaponics. The problem with aquaponics is the protein yield is extensively limited. Aquaponics is a vegetable production system, something to produce fruit and vegetable for you, and greens that also has a side effect of producing uh, some protein. And we can do things with backyard aquatics to up our protein production of fish, but in the end, it is somewhat limited. Fish take a long time to grow. It requires specialized equipment. You have to balance your you know, your aquatic uh, systems, your aquaponic systems, so that everything doesn't die on you. Uh, and additionally, unless you're fortunate like me to live where there's a well, when you need to add water to your system, you have a dechlorination issue to take care of. So I would put it as number two from the bottom, right? Uh, On the list of number three, coming down from the top of of home protein production, the next one I would put for home protein production that makes a lot of sense for suburbanites is rabbits. They're quiet. You can get a lot of meat from a rabbit from a rabbit tree. You know, um, one buck and two or three does, and you can produce just more meat than you'd get off a small, um, maybe a small Dexter cow. Probably not, but in less time, yes. And certainly that will outproduce, let's say, doing a uh, a meat-specific large breed goat, which isn't even an option, uh, definitely more than that. So it, it, it really ticks the box on protein production. The negatives are you have a single yield that of meat. And number two, your coal bunnies, your, your adults, really are tough. And uh, so you're, you're really in a process where you need to be, for good quality, let's say the best quality meat, be producing fryer bunnies and processing them on a schedule. Uh, and it's a little bit involved compared to doing a quail to do a rabbit. But I would say on total meat yield, rabbits win. However, I have found that people tend to have a little bit more of a problem killing a bunny than killing a bird they just do quail are numerous it's it's like when you have a fish tank and inside that fish tank maybe you have a couple angel fish and they sort of develop a personality and you might even name them and one of them you know goes fins up on you you kind of feel bad about it but if you have a couple hundred neon tetras swimming around in there and one of them dies and gets sucked into the filter you're like whatever it, it it's i hate to put it that bluntly but it's a little bit like that you know it's it's a it's a quail it, it it's just a little less likely to be something you can get attached to and using methods we can teach you i can process a quail in about 45 seconds with no tools i have had people claim they can process rabbits close to that fast i have not yet seen somebody do it so i'm not saying it's not possible i'm just saying with quail you have very very quick processing you also have very quick grow out we can grow quail to meat in six weeks Uh, and quail will start laying eggs somewhere between 6 and 8 weeks of age, most of mine right at the doorstep of 7 weeks. So we're talking 2 days short of 7 weeks of age, I start seeing eggs pop out of butts. And that means we can do multi-generational quail farming in a backyard with a short-term turnover. And our our, our cold quail will not be as tender. They suffer the same issues as rabbits to a degree, but it's nowhere near as much. And what that means is with something like a couple quail tractors, we can have a group of quail that are dedicated egg layers with, with a roo, or a rooster, if you want to call them that, right? probably two, so if one dies, we still have one. And we can run those quail for a year of egg production. When they go into their first molt, we can time it so we already have a group of, of hatchlings that have come up, And we are going to turn those into our next group of egg layers. And as soon as they start popping eggs out of their butt, we select our best females. We move them into the egg laying uh, tractor. We take all of our old egg layers. We process them as colts. We take all our surplus young quail. We process them as meat birds. And throughout the year, if we want to raise a dozen meat quail this round, we can hatch a dozen eggs, raise a dozen meat quail, and in six weeks we're putting them in the freezer or into our bellies. And for me, when you add to the fact that the quail also gives you eggs, they are the number one meat production system for the American backyard. And when I met Brad Davies, my belief in that went from a belief to a conviction of knowledge. I I would say that I, I, I don't just believe this at this point. It's not just my opinion. Until somebody can show me otherwise, I consider this a fact the number one system to put protein in the bellies of American citizens with backyard permaculture, backyard homesteading goals, is the quail. And that's part of why I suggest uh, I selected today's show. Uh, it, it, and it, the reasoning behind it is we're heading into winter. This is a lot of times where people are doing a lot of their planning for next year and things like that. And I would submit to you, like, if you're going to get chickens for eggs... You probably won't do it right now. You probably will wait till after the holidays. And if you get them in the cold depths of January, they will start giving you eggs around sometime the end of June to beginning of July. If you pick up some quail, they're pretty easy to raise, so you can do it now. You can get them feathered out and hardened off before the snow flies. Um... And you can have eggs, you can have quail eggs at Christmas dinner. A little short of making it for... uh, No, actually, if you did it today, right, which I doubt most people will do, but if you did it today, you could be putting quail eggs on a Thanksgiving table. So I thought it was a good time. And, of course, opportunistically, we have released the Quail Tracker system. I didn't announce this on the air yesterday because we did a show with Ben Fitz on Crypto Gulch, and I didn't want to double up on the promotion. But Brad Davies and I... Uh, hooked up with a gentleman named Steve Larkin. Steve Larkin has been in the business of building cages and aviaries for over 20 years. I think it's actually more like 30 years. Um, he's an amazing guy, and he's built everything from small-scale cage systems to huge commercial aviary systems. He's really sharp. He really knows what he's doing. And we went through a bunch of permutations of the quail Tracker system. What we have now is a modular system that allows you to do things like have your, your basic quail tractor, but install on one end of it for instance a composting bin and, and keep adding compost until it gets to a point where you want to take it away and you know use it that would be one example or a coop if you want to keep your birds out and it's a little bit uh, heavy on the weather you got a coop for the birds to take shelter in um, you can use the tractors as basically just a meat tractor to run meat runs or you can use one to do mostly eggs I think that long term if I was going to be using these I would use two and I would have one as a meat tractor and i would have one for my laying birds cuz you know i'm telling you 8 to 10 quail can give a family generally all the eggs that they're ever going to need from quail and they can give you all of the eggs you need to hatch to run meat and you have a meat and egg system that takes up about 8 square feet in your backyard that you can move every day and it's lightweight enough that a young child a 12 year old that can't move this has something physically imped some sort of physical impediment I'm serious, it's it's that lightweight and that easy to move. And if you need to bring it inside, that makes it two people grab an end, and boom, you can bring it inside on really harsh weather or something like that. Uh, it can certainly be hung up and used as a rack system uh, if you have really, really harsh winters and want to bring your birds in. Um, we have more coming from, from Home Food Systems, uh, which is the, the company that we actually are doing this under. Uh, but this is our first project that we're releasing to the public. And It's live on Kickstarter now. And If you'd like to learn more, you can go uh, to the show notes for today's Rewind episode and you'll see the typical Rewind show notes, but, bef- but within uh, the links from the original episode, you'll see two new links and one will be a link to our Kickstarter uh, for the Quail Tracker. The other one, if you like what you hear today and you want to know more, when I did this original Rewind back four and a half years ago, I guess, my experience with Quail was academic, and I guess as a hunter. I'd shot quite a few quail, but uh, they're a little bit different than your domestic varieties. I certainly didn't have any husbandry experience. Along the way, I became a convert. I kept quail in three different systems at this point now. We actually have a system we will be bringing out in the future for people that want to keep their birds indoors. We have the Quail Tracker, and my genius marketing mind has come up with the second product being the quail, come on, say it, step stacker right the quail stacker so the tracker and the stacker Um, and I have worked with prototypes of both of those systems I have kept birds on the ground in the quail tracker I have kept them in rack systems in the stacker and I now keep them in an aviary completely up front the aviary is the easiest thing you can do but not everybody can build a 50 foot long 10 foot wide aviary in their backyard that doesn't work for everybody. So we built this system for people that wanted to get those birds outside, have them eating insects and things like that. But in that experience of doing those three different methods, I I very quickly developed a ton of experience working with quail. I also kept them in you know, hand-built, heavy chicken tractors that I modified to work for quail, and that worked okay. Um, I had a lot of losses because I did things to quail that everybody said not to do and I figured out what could and could not be done. In that, eventually I put together a show that I thought would be an easy show, because we were talking about Quail a lot on Q&A shows and feedback shows and stuff like that, because you guys were following my journey. I said, you know what, let's do this all in one place. Send me questions, and I'll answer them. It'll be an easy show. It'll be a short day for Jack. Yeah, um, I seldom get close to worn out doing a single episode in this one, I did. I barely made it through without having to stop and just pick it up, you know, a couple hours later. Uh, it was over three hours. I think three hours and six minutes. And I have a link to that show. And what we did with that show, because it was so long and a QA show of that length, uh, some volunteers from the audience went through and time-stamped it. So after you listen to this, if you have questions, you can go to the show notes for today's show. You can click on the link that says my three-hour, my three-plus-hour QA on Quail with timestamps and go look that episode up, and you can read through the questions. And when you see the question you want, not only is there a timestamp, but it's a clickable timestamp. If you click it, it will open the episode at that timestamp and let you listen to that question and that answer. Uh, Quick side note here, I've had people ask, well, can't you do that with all the episodes? No, I can't. Guys, I'm out of gas on, on how much I can do. I am totally open to having someone that thinks that's a great idea that wants to do it and and give them access uh, if once I develop, determine they're trustable uh, to to do that with you know all the Q and A type episodes going forward uh, the feedback shows the call shows and the expert counsel shows but I I can't I'm sorry it takes you know another forty five minutes to an hour an episode probably to do that. Uh, for me to do that anyway, because I've got all the other shit I'm doing being distracted from doing just that. Let's say it's even 30 minutes. That's two and a half hours a week. No, it's not. It would be an hour and a half a week, uh, which is three hours every two, six hours a month. I I, I don't have it. I am not going to make commitments that I can't keep, and that would be one of them. Eventually, I'd have to quit doing it. So That's why I don't do it with all of those, for those of you guys that have asked. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's show. It is a really good one. And remember, we don't do commercials during these shows, but you can always support the Survival Podcast by doing your online shopping where? TSPAS.com. And uh, our item of the day today is the Nebo Larry uh, flashlight. It's something that I put up before. Uh, The reason I selected it for today's episode in, in, in a rewind is because I had a little quick note on it. So I said, I have no idea why they call this thing the Larry when I put it out the first time. And a ton of you guys bought these things and love them. And, uh... A person from the audience kind of took some initiative, got in touch with Nebo, the company that makes the Nebo Larry, and said, what the heck? Why, why do you call Larry? And They emailed back and said, well, when all our engineers were putting this together, we knew it was going to be a very reliable, dependable tool. And we thought of the most reliable person that we knew. And there was an electrician that worked at their facility, and his name was Larry. So they named the Nebo Larry light after Larry the electrician. So now you know where it came from. It's a really cool tool. And it's one of the coolest stories about how I ever learned about a product, ever. And you can find out all about how that happened by going to tspaz.com. With that, let's go ahead and rewind all the way back to February the 14th, 2013. And with that, I'd like to say, uh, after quite a delay in getting this done, hey, Brad, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Yeah, great to be here, man. So I I want to kind of just start out with, you know, what... What led you to keep quail in the first place?
1: Okay, um, yeah, I was looking at basically what kind of livestock I could get, and uh, I started with rabbits, and I have some tilapia, and I was kind of looking for, you know, maybe something else, something where I could get some eggs out of, or maybe chickens. And living in the suburbs, I could do chickens, but I couldn't really do them on the uh, the level that I'm doing the quail. So. I started doing a lot of internet research and looking for small-scale animals that I could keep, and I came across a Japanese quail, and it just, everything I was reading about them seemed really good, and so I did a lot of research and ended up being even better than I thought it was going to be, so turned out pretty well so far.
0: So what's, the, like, the overall process, like the mile-high view of, uh, of you know, from, from getting your quail to housing them to to, to day-to-day maintenance?
1: Okay, Um yeah, it's pretty easy process. Basically, you just, uh you need an incubator, so you incubate them for about 17 to 18 days, and then after that, they hatch. From there, I take them and put them in the brooder, and the brooder is just, you know, a heated box. They're in there for about 17 days to three weeks, if you want to do it that way, and then from there, I take them and put them in the grow-out pens, and then 17 days later, they're ready to go. So with three different steps here, I have three different containers to put them in, so as I'm Taking some out of the incubator, you know, as they hatch and put them in the brooder, put the ones from the brooder in the grow-up pens, and then take the ones from the grow-up pens and graduate them up to the freezer. So it's just kind of a continuous, uh, process.
0: So per batch, we're looking at around 52 day, 51, 52 days then from egg to, uh, to, uh, to graduated to uh, bacon and jalapenos.
1: Yep, yep, I like wrapping them in bacon and baking them, putting them on the grill, that's always a great way to do it. Uh, yeah, it's really, really short. If you wanted to do like a three week cycle to keep things, you know, easy for you to keep track of, that works too, and then gives you a couple days to clean out the brooder and a few more days to get them growing. Uh, but it's, it's really short. I couldn't believe how, how fast they grow. I mean, they almost double in size every day for the first few weeks.
0: And um, when you're when you're raising these things up, and they're, they've got this growth rate, well, I mean, what is the the size of a you know a ready to harvest quail? I'm a hunter, and you know I'm thinking of bob whites, and they're a little bit smaller than a morning dove usually. Are these Japanese quail a bit bigger than that, or
1: um, they're smaller than the bob whites? They are. I know that the dress out percentage is about sixty five percent of the live weight, and that okay. ends up being about a quarter to a third of a pound. Per bird.
0: Okay.
1: So, so they dress up to about a quarter to a third of a pound per bird. So, somewhere in that range.
0: Um, So, grown grown man sitting, grown man sitting down to a dinner. How many of these things do you think he's going to eat with? You know, with with side dishes and all. Three of them, four of them. (laughs)
1: Uh, If you got side dish, two is good. I like to eat three personally, but um, yeah, they they go fast when you have a bunch of people around eating them. But uh, yeah, two to three is good, and uh, you can fit three of them. Uh, nicely in a, a wide mouth quart jar for canning too. They fit in there perfect, so that works out pretty mm-hmm. well too.
0: Canned quail? I didn't even think of that till just now. Um, what, what's the what's the equipment that you need for them? It, it's you know I you know I started initially thinking well you needed some kind of nesting box or something, but I was looking online and it's almost like these guys. And I, I don't know if this is what you do or not. Like they just lay an egg right in the middle of the cage and it just rolls down into like a little slot, like a pencil holder. Mhm. Yep. Um, so
1: they, they don't really need like a nesting box or anything because they're not, they don't get broody. That's been bred out of them. You have to incubate them. Um, the laying pens that I use, I put them at the back end is two inches higher than the front end. So when they lay the eggs, the eggs will just roll right up to the front, which makes it pretty easy to grab them. Um, yeah, but basically just incubate them. And then I use, a, I have two different incubators and I alternate between the two of them. Which one I want to use? I have a top hatch and then a, uh, a little giant. They both work fairly well. Um, the brooder is two foot by four foot and 15 inches tall. And I just put pine shavings in the bottom of that. It's got a couple of light bulb sockets and just a couple of red uh, floodlights in there. You could use heat lamps. Just got to make sure that your uh, your sockets that you're putting the heat lamps in are rated for that wattage, so you don't start a fire. Uh, I also have a dimmer switch wired up to it so I can slowly turn the heat down to harden them off as I move them from the brooder. But you definitely have to incubate them, and then, because they're not going to hatch themselves, you could put them under, like, a a silky chicken or something. I've heard of that working out pretty well. Um, And then from there, they just go to the grow-out pens. The grow-out pens are, again, 2 foot by 4 foot. I use half-inch hardware cloth for the bottom sides and top and then 2-by-4-inch cage wire for the front, and that's so they can stick their head out the front, and the feeding trough is on the outside, so they actually stick their head outside of the trough to get the food. Yep.
0: So how feeding. big is how big is the grow-out pen, and about how many birds are in, you know, one section at a time as they're growing out?
1: I have uh, two grow-out pens. They're 2-foot by 4-foot, and then I put a divider in the center of it, so it actually is 2-foot uh, by 2-foot, and... I've had up to 25 birds in one of those two-foot-by-two-foot two ones. Sounds okay. like a lot. They're really not big at that point. Um, when I first started looking into it, I was doing research, and I kept seeing, like, one bird per square foot, one bird per square foot everywhere I was looking. And I was like, okay, that's kind of what I was basing my numbers on. And then when I went out to pick up the birds from uh, this farm that I got them off of Craigslist, they had, like, a commercial, I think it was a GQF setup. And I went and looked at it, and I was like, holy cow, you have so many birds in there. So I had a little tape measure with me, went and measured it. And they had, I think it was five birds in a 10-inch by two-foot section, so 3.75 birds per square foot. Okay. And as soon as I saw that, my numbers completely changed on what I was going to do. I was I was going to run them anyway, but when I saw that, I was like, holy cow, you can really stock them. Um, I had a hard time finding how many birds I could put in a brooder and how many I could find in a grow-out pen. There wasn't too many hard numbers on there. If you search, like, Google Images, you'll see pictures of – I mean, they're, like, stacked on top of each other. When they're, when they're really small as they hatch out, they're about the size of a golf ball. I mean, they're tiny, maybe a ping-pong ping ball, golf ball. And then at about three weeks old, they're a little bit bigger. When they get up to, you know, harvest size at five, six weeks, it's maybe – Tennis ball ish, a little bit bigger. Okay. So, it, it sounds like a real high number when you start looking at it, but when you look at how many of them and they're moving around in the cage there, it's really not too bad. And they all end up huddling together at night when they sleep anyway. So, no matter how many you have or how much room you give them, they just pile into a little mass at night. So, they seem to be really friendly with each other
0: yeah i've I've noticed that with birds they have that tendency to 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 get together especially as they're in that growth stage. I've seen people pasturing chickens for instance and in, in on paddock and they'll give them uh you know a twentieth of an acre you know and there's fifty birds in there and then at night you'll see two or three clumps of birds um yep. and they huddle together for warmth and protection so they you know we we anamorphize animals sometimes I think and think well, I wouldn't want to be that close to other people and and most people wouldn't but Birds are not humans.
1: Yeah, yeah, they, they really don't seem to mind. I started with lower numbers, and I just kind of kept increasing it to see if I was going to run into problems, and I really haven't. I mean, there's a few will get picked on here and there, but with so many of them in there, there's not really, like, one that they'll single out and pick on. They just kind of have a lot of other ones going on. Um, that's
0: that's to- interesting. That You know, that makes me think of keeping aquarium fish, and there's these little... Uh, little guys called barbs that will just tear into other fish if you put three of them in a tank. But if you put, like, 50 of them in a tank, they all keep each other occupied, and they leave everybody else alone.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
0: pretty
1: much the same thing. Yep, yep. So, yeah, I I really didn't know how many to start with, but I just kind of figured I would start hatching them out and see if I ran into trouble, and if I did, I'd back them down from there. But.
0: So that's, you were saying keep feed outside of the cage, so that's probably prevents a lot of mess making then.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah, they are, they're really messy eaters. At first I was using, um the chicken feeder things where, you know, you have the little, uh, the little round thing with the holes in it. I forget what they call them, but they would just stick their heads in there and throw the food everywhere. And, uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm not paying for them to just make a mess. So I started looking for, other ways I could do it, and I found somebody that made one out of, like, PVC pipe where they cut slots in it so the bird could stick its head into the feeder, feed, and then as it was throwing food around, the feed would just stay in the feeder. Okay. So, I kind of took that idea and just used some uh, four-inch, it's like soil pipe. It's not actually PVC. It's like the uh, cheaper, lighter version of it. Yeah. Fo- foamish. I mean, you can cut it with a knife. So, I got you know uh 10 feet of that 20 feet of that and then just cut like a slot out so they'll stick their head through the cage wire and then just stick their head down in the feeder and that worked really really well for keeping the feed in there and uh cut down on my feed bill for sure
0: now the probably they're probably have more free access to feed than when they're in their brooder because they're too small for that at that point
1: uh in the brooder i took the um basically the same thing, the chicken thing, and then I just extended the top of it with the four-inch pipe, so it just comes right up to the top of the brooder, and I can put a couple of pounds in it, so okay. they they have as much food as they want, and uh, I, I mean, I give them all pretty much as much food as they want. I fill the feeders right up every day.
0: So on that note, I mean, with the growth rate, you kind of want to feed them as much as it'll take, but... Yeah. On that note, like I've dealt with turkeys, right? And a turkey, uh, baby turkeys, poults will, um, they're stupid. I mean, they're immensely stupid. And if their mother is not around, you basically, if you get them from somebody else and you're raising baby turkeys, you have to teach them how to eat by mimicking pecking with your finger or the damn things will sit there and starve to death. Do these guys have any trouble getting started or they pretty much come out of the shell and start eating as soon as the, uh, the yolks worn out?
1: Yeah, they. I mean, they know what to do. Um, and I haven't had any trouble with that. I, I'll sometimes like if one of them looks like it's uh, not really making it, I'll pull it him towards the water. But they they figure it out real quick. Um, and if they don't, well, well then their genes then that are removed from the breeding line.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I had another question because I, I got the impression from looking at some of the forums that. So if these guys start laying their eggs every day and you want to bring through in a cycle, let's say 50 quail, you're not going to get 50 quail eggs in a day. You'll get them over a period of time, but you want them kind of hatching at the same time. So what it looked like these guys were doing is basically collecting the eggs and leaving them at room temperature for a while before they, so they had kind of like all they wanted for a cycle. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, I have I have like seventy egg layers right now, so okay. if I want to hatch out a hundred birds, I really only have to keep them for two days, and then I'll I'll do a couple more days and just pick the biggest eggs each time and just keep hatching those out. But um, you can keep the eggs for seven ten days seems to be the uh, internet wisdom as far as how long they they'll be good before the hatch rate drops down. Now I have a brother in law whose father raises bob white quails like commercially. For like his part of his income, and yeah. I asked him about this, and apparently he keeps them for up to thirty days before it wow. hatches them. Um, now he puts them in he the guy the guy described it to me as like a chest freezer with like the right humidity and temperature and stuff in it. I'm sure it wasn't like freezing temperatures, but he puts them in there, and he said no problem. They'll, they'll store for thirty days, and he gets like an eighty percent plus hatch rate using commercial equipment. So I know you can hold them for longer. Yeah. I generally hold them for no more than a week. But okay. under the right conditions, there there should be no reason you couldn't hold them that long if he's doing that's,
0: it. That's just really interesting because I think most people would be of the common wisdom that, hey, if you leave this thing unincubated for a few days, it's just going to die and go away. That's not the case. And I think for people with smaller flocks than you have, it, it does make you know coming up with enough birds to complete a cycle um, and make it worth your while a little easier on you because over a week, I imagine, let's say, if you had – uh, a dozen layers you'd get quite a few eggs uh, out of that period right oh yeah
1: yeah yeah if you have a dozen layers you you can expect about 10 mm-hmm. eggs a day mm-hmm.
0: yep, so 10 eggs a, li- a day so a little under one egg per bird per day you know a point 8 yep. or something like that okay yeah yep. let's talk a little bit about your inputs and your outputs so um you know per month how much feed are these guys getting water what what you know what does it take and again, mention the size of your flock so that it, you know, it doesn't scare people. Because you have a pretty big uh, group yeah. of birds.
1: Yep, I got uh, about 70 egg layers right now, and then I'm constantly hatching them out and growing them out. Um, whenever I'm, I'm needing them, I don't, I don't run them every single 17 days or three weeks, um, just because I don't need that many. I got, I got my rabbits too, and I got fish also. So, um, I figured out the. Uh, how much feed it takes for the egg layers and it's about two and a half pounds per bird per month of food. Okay. Which the feed is about, you know, forty forty to fifty cents a pound. So about a buck, buck twenty five per bird per month. Okay. And for that dollar, dollar twenty five you're getting you know at least twenty five eggs per 'em. Two
0: okay. dozen eggs.
1: So pretty good there. Um I haven't actually sat down and, and weighed out like a bag of feed and then raised them up from hatch to freezer to see how much yeah. they used, but if the the full grown egg layers are only using two and a half pounds a month, the little ones aren't using that sure. I, I take a, sure. I take the food all from the same container, so not measuring exactly how much each day, but it's really not much their feed conversion ratio is great um as long as you keep them from just throwing their food everywhere
0: I, I mean even if you did a hundred percent conversion that they were using the same with their not, you're looking at about two fifty a bird. Uh, Per produced bird, then, and that's uh, for anybody that's ever gone to a market that sells quail and buys, you know, uh, quail. It's that's a pretty daggone good deal.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the and and we know it's not
0: that much. It it can't be that much because, like you said, when they're when they're golf ball size, they just can't possibly be eating what a layer is eating.
1: Yeah, no, not even close. Um, I mean, it goes up exponentially as they get larger, but. It never gets over that 2.5 pounds per month, and they're not even – I mean, they're only around for six weeks anyway, so it's its low. Um, the feed that I give them is Purina Game Bird Starter, which is a 27% protein, and the higher the protein you can give them, the better from what I've um, basically tried and read. Uh, I ran out of it one time, and I had to get some turkey feed because that was the highest I could get at TSC at the time and it was like 20% protein, and I noticed immediately that the egg production dropped off and the actual size of the eggs got smaller. So hmm. that's something um, to, to consider, too. The Purina stuff, it's a couple dollars more, but it's really not its not that much more for what you get.
0: Sure. So, so give me those, those numbers on the protein again, because it sounded like you said the protein went up and the egg size went down.
1: Oh no! The, the lower the protein that I gave them, the smaller the eggs.
0: Okay, that that makes sense. But what did you say the protein numbers were? You use so to understand this: are your chicks and your adult birds eating the same feed? Yes. Okay, and it's that pre it's the layer and starter or is what was it's it? Just, it's just the
1: starter. Yep, it is uh just the Purina Game Bird Starter, twenty seven percent protein, and that's from okay, hatching graduate. Okay, twenty seven.
0: Yeah. Twenty-seven. I thought you said seventeen, and then the the turkey was twenty. Okay, so twenty-seven no, no, percent. No. And, and the and the and the babies eat the same thing as the yep. as the the adults from day one.
1: Yep, yep. I don't I don't even grind it up for them or anything. Um, they can figure it out.
0: <laughs>
1: My approach. Now I did make a mistake once, and I got uh, Purina Game Bird Maintenance, which it's the same bag. It just has a different tag, and that was like seventeen uh-huh. and a half percent protein, and. When I gave them that, it was their egg production dropped by like 50%. I was like, wow. what's going on? I didn't even realize it until I went and looked at the bag again. I was like, oh crap. And from then on, that, that didn't happen again. But, uh, so it, it does make a big difference for them. If you're trying to get big eggs and you want fast growth rate, I mean, it's like $3 more per bag. It's, it's really worth it.
0: Well, it definitely sounds like it. And, uh, so, when, when we get these these guys uh, to uh, to full size and it's time for graduation day, what is your slaughter mechanism?
1: Okay. Um, it's it's really easy. Um, I grew up on a lake and I've always been catching fish, so whenever I clean an animal, I always kind of compare it to cleaning a fish. Sure. Um, it's I couldn't believe how easy it was. Basically, I just take a pair of scissors, you know, make sure they're sharp, you don't want to be cruel here, and hang them up by their feet, just grab them by their feet, hang them upside down and then just scissors right off with their head. I put the scissors to the back of their neck. That way it severs their spinal cord. You don't have to, you know, they don't see it coming either. It's a little bit nicer for them. So just drop their head into a bucket. I clip off the wings. I usually set the wings aside for a separate pile, Um, and then I'll clip the feet off. The skin, I don't even take the feathers. I'll just tear the skin right off of them. Um, Okay. Take the scissors, and you cut near, like, the vent hole and then there's because there's some feathers there that won't really come off of the skin, cut them through the vent hole, and then I take the scissors and just write up the spinal cord, clip on either side, pull the spine out, and most of the time the guts will come out attached to the spinal cord. Got you. And the entire cavity is just open at that point.
0: So just so I can make sure I'm trying to understand the, the the way we're ending up with the finished bird here, we got a wingless bird with probably the legs, the thighs, and the breast that are skinless, it's almost been butterflied open the way you would butterfly open a chicken, but the spine's gone.
1: Yes. I, I cut the wings right. off, so I don't I don't have right. the wings on it. There's really not much meat on them.
0: No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. It's a, so leg- it's a lot like I do a dove, except you're retaining the legs and the thighs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've watched your video on doing a dove. I bet you could do it the exact same way. I don't see why. Yeah, not. except
0: I'd lose, I'd lose the legs and the thighs. But for speed... Because for those of you who haven't seen my uh, my dub video, give me thirty seconds and I've got a dub breast from you from a from a from a bird, um, and and that's not really pushing the speed. I mean, we've had uh, cleaning parties out in the field where we've had you know four guys cleaning uh, birds that you know thirty shot, and the other guys are off wrapping or putting jalapenos, and we can go through all those birds in 30 minutes with four guys. I mean, it's it's insane how fast you can do that. And that is an advantage over something like chickens because chickens you're just not going to clean a chicken that way.
1: Yeah. Yep. It's I could not believe how fast it was. I thought it was going to be way way longer, way bigger a process and then I got done and I was like, "Wow, that was really quick. I wonder how long that took me." So, I had my roommate time me and it was I got done when I was, you know, doing a few of them at a time, getting the rhythm of it and you could do one in about a minute.
0: Yep, I mean,
1: it's it's quick.
0: And then you know. I, I like the, the idea those. of what you're doing too. It makes me almost wonder if it's worth doing it with doves because I've always felt bad about pitching the thigh on the leg. Yeah, yeah. They're not big, oh, yeah. but there is meat there. You know, there's there definitely yeah, is meat. Yeah. yeah, it might
1: be something
0: yeah. to try. Yeah. You well, know, dove season's not till September, but i will I'll have some quail before then.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Yeah, one so, nice what, thing about it too is uh, when you're done cleaning them. You know, your hands don't smell like fish or anything like that.
0: No, no.
1: So that's always nice too. It's a lot faster than a rabbit. A rabbit will take me about ten minutes.
0: Yeah, I've always noticed that domestic rabbits take a lot more effort to skin than like cottontails. You, if you give me a, cotton, a cottontail rabbit that's still warm, and I, I cut one two-inch slice across the spine, and I can basically just pull the the skin right off. Um, but for some reason, the domestic rabbits are just a little bit. It's more like skinning a squirrel than a wild rabbit.
1: I've actually never had a wild rabbit before. I've only had the domestic, so.
0: Yeah. You, you don't even need a knife to skin them, really. I mean, you can really just, you kind of get the skin along the spine and pull it up a little bit and begin to pull on it. and It'll tear. And once that skin tears, you get your fingers underneath it and <coughs> out it comes. Uh, I couldn't believe how much more, more effort and more knife work was required the first time I did a domestic rabbit because I just, I grew up with, you know, we ate cottontails. Uh, a lot of people won't shoot, um, Rabbits, uh, in front of their dogs because they, they want the dogs to stay on birds. I'm like, I don't care what the dog finds. If I can eat it and it's in season, it's dead. And the dog did a good job, you know. Uh, but let's get back, like, back on track here. Let's talk about what kind of what your output is. So you have 70 layers. How many, and I don't know if this is even the right term, would you call them roosters in, in your world? Uh, yeah, I think they're called roosters. I, okay. I haven't heard of So probably. how many males? It how, yeah, um, how many males go with, uh, with uh you know, do you have like four in one per cage or something like that? Or
1: Normally you put about four females to one male if you want to ensure good breeding. So I'll keep a couple of good males around and then I'll cycle the females that I want through because I have some extra cages. So I'll take the male out, make sure that the females are getting fertilized. Um, but I keep 12 egg layers in one two foot by two foot pen. And then okay. I could keep the male in there with them, so it would be 13 birds total. And there's there's okay. really no problem doing it that way. You can put more males to, you know, less females. Um, the males, they can be a little annoying at times, so I try to pick. You know, I, I cull them fairly early, and I select the ones that don't like to crow a lot.
0: Okay. So they crow like a like a chicken?
1: Sort of. It's... Uh, <laughs> When I got into it, I, I read a lot about them, and, you know, they're really quiet, they're really quiet. And then my first batch of them, I bought live birds from somebody, and I got them. And right when they had, you know, puberty for them, the males just started crowing like crazy. And I was like, oh, crap, you know, I'm not going to be able to keep males. I'm not going to be able to do meat production like I'd want to. Um, I'll be able to keep the females. The females are almost silent. The, okay. the loudest noise they make is, like, a, it sounds like a cricket chirping, okay, but most of the time they just peep peep, 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 and it's really, really quiet, um, but the males they they have a call, it's not like a crow like a rooster, but it's kind of a weird call. um, I knew do what they it was.
0: like Bob Whites do with you know the Bob white, or is it
1: um similar, yeah, actually,
0: okay, it, it's okay.
1: not as I think it's a little more annoying than that, but
0: uh, uh. <laughs> it <it's,
1: laughs> that might just be me, <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, so the first time I got him, I had a few males out there, I think I had four of them, and they just kept crowing and crowing, so I was like, okay, I'll narrow it down to just two, and then they kept crowing and crowing, and then, like, alright, I'll just, maybe it's just, you know, one would crow, then the other one would crow back, okay, I'll get rid of one of them, so that there's just the one left. Well, I, I left the largest one, and he just kept going. So, I, uh, I, don't, I was out there working on something in the garage, and, kind of blacked out, and the next thing I know, he was wrapped in bacon and put on the grill. Um, but I had some hatching out at that point, so I wasn't too worried about it. Uh, it turns out that I think most of the female listeners would agree that not all males are created equal, especially in the quail world. So from that first experience, I thought they were going to you know, be a bit of a problem, be noisy. I was trying to think of other ways I could keep a few males around that would keep them quiet. Um, on my next batch, the mails that I have out there now that I've been selecting, they're really quiet. I might hear them once a day when I walk out there, and they're, like they're kind of happy to see me. So they'll give me a little bit of a, a crow. But it's not loud at all. Uh, I had my garage door open and the windows open in my garage, and I could barely hear it at my mailbox about okay. 100, 100 feet away.
0: So I want to hear them. If I have them out in my, my outbuilding, I'm not going to hear them at all. They're not. <laughs> they're, no. they're going to be unannoying. Um, I, I, do have some, like, like questions around, like, your total production. So what, you have these 70, In like, hold on a second. Let me, let me back up on that. So when you're, cause yeah, okay, now, now, I'm sorry. When we're looking at the sexual maturity, so we're looking at like 50, 51 days, 52 days to, uh, bacon wrapping, but, is that bird then at that point also, if you want a new breeder, sexually mature? The uh,
1: the males will start crowing at about five weeks old. So okay. Once I, I hear the first peep out of the brooder, it's generally time for all of them to go into the freezer, at least all the males. If I want to leave the females a little bit longer, I will. Um, the males, they'll start crowing about five weeks. The females will start laying eggs at eight. Okay. Uh, they'll start really laying consistently by ten. Okay. So, that is a, a super fast life cycle,
0: Yeah, it like is. a yeah. rabbit
1: or something. i get mean, a rabbit here you're, you're
0: talking about culling your, you know, your noisy, annoying roosters, how long it takes to bring up a, a replacement bird. So we're looking at 60 days-ish and maybe a little bit longer for your hens.
1: Yeah, and the, the females will lay fertile eggs for about 10 days after they get fertilized by the male, too. Okay. So if you get rid of the male, they're still going to be laying fertile eggs for a, at least a week. That you
0: can Is there any way you shell. know whether an egg's fertile or not before you try to, uh, to incubate it?
1: Not that I found. It's really hard to candle the, uh, the quail eggs because they, they have a little bit of a thicker shell and they have spots all over them. Um, yeah. you can float, okay. you can float test them. When some people do that. I just, I incubate them and if they don't, they, hatch, incubate
0: they don't. Them. Hatch, they don't yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So what kind of production level are you getting as far as like, if they see 70 layers, you've got enough roosters to service them all and uh then you're i'm sure you're not hatching every egg because you would end up with more quail well than you you maybe can deal with so you're getting an egg yield and a meat yield so what what are your numbers working out to there
1: um well the eggs pretty much every day i uh, you get an egg from about 80% of the birds if you want to figure it out that way okay. so i'll when I'm about ready to gather some eggs for hatching again, I'll just keep sorting them, and I like to – you don't need to do this, but I weigh them, and I'll sort them into, like, different piles, so 12 grams up to 13 and 13 up to 14 and 14 plus, and I like to set the largest eggs and then just work my way down to fill my incubators up. Um, okay. Right now I'm running two incubators, and I can put over 100 in each incubator if I okay. want. I mean, you obviously don't have to. You could put as many as you – you know, as few as you wanted in there or – as many as you want It's really up to the operator, whoever's, you know, managing it. Um, but I'll fill both my incubators up, and then, depending on how many hatch, if I get more than I want to hatch, then I'll, you know, put an ad up on Craigslist to see if anybody wants some chicks, and if nobody goes there, I'll see if anybody needs any snake food or other sure. sort of live food, which, yep. that works out for buying food for them to feed the other ones up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can, you can fit a hundred in the brooder, two foot by four foot, and then from there right to the, uh, grow up pens, and then from the grow up pens to the freezer, and you're looking at about a quarter pound to a third pound per bird. So every three weeks you can get, you know, twenty pounds of quail meat plus.
0: Very cool. And is that about what you're running then?
1: Yeah, yeah, as, as I need to. I've run into a little bit of a problem here this winter. Uh, my hatch rate has just plummeted. So, I think I might switch things up this summer and run an extra, like, grow-out pen and uh, do, like, a quail tractor. Because at this point, I mean, it's it's not really – I kind of subscribe to Jill Salatin's theory of, you know, if I'm walking out there to feed three birds, I might as well be walking out there to feed 30 birds. You know, sure. It's the same amount of time. It's just slightly more feed. And since I'm doing the rabbits anyway – you know, I'm already walking out there once a day, so it's not really, there's really no difference between taking care of a hundred of them or taking care of ten of them. It's just more feed and more poop.
0: Did, I, did I hear you say quail tractor there? Yeah, yep. So are you, are you doing that? Because my understanding initially was you're doing all of this in your garage. Yeah,
1: the, I am doing all of this in my garage right now. Um, this summer I'm going to make a quail tractor and then they, basically add an extra step to it. So after they go to the grow pens, and then the males show themselves, I'll get rid of the males because I don't need them out in my backyard crowing. Um, okay. My neighbors like me right now, and I would really like to keep it that way. So okay. So I'll take the females out, and I'll put them in the quail tractor, and then probably give them another two to three weeks just to get even bigger, because they'll continue to grow. They're not full grown at the five or six week mark. They'll okay. keep growing up to about eight weeks, but you know, it's a, it's an exponential curve, so they, they slow down as they get up there.
0: Well, it's interesting because I was thinking about kind of like a, a pasture finish, and that's basically what you're doing then, and that was kind of my plan, so I'm glad to hear you thinking that way.
1: Yes, yeah, that's what I would like to move towards is more of that model. And if I can do that way, you know, I'll just do twice as many in the spring, summer, and fall, then, you know, shut, it, shut down the meat production for the winter.
0: And what a kind of an egg, so you're probably getting a, like a, a super abundance of eggs beyond what you want to hatch, right? Yes. Yep. So what do we do with all these extra eggs? I mean, they're they're good eating. I mean, yeah. do you have a lot of friends that get free quail eggs? Or <laughs> Yes, I do. Fed I have, dogs or what's going on there? Um, well, I
1: pretty much eat as many eggs as I want. I, I eat paleo, so that works out great. Um, sure. They're great for doing hard-boiled eggs. I thought that would be kind of a pain at first, but they're a little bit easier than chicken eggs, in my opinion. the uh, The shell's a little thicker, and the membrane underneath the shell kind of holds the shell together more. So as you peel them, like after hard-boiling them, they just peel right off. The shells just kind of right yeah. You off.
0: crack. I, I love them. They're great little hard-boiled eggs. It's just kind of it's like peeling a grape. If a, you know what it's like. I say peeling a grape, and that sounds complicated, but the big, thick-skinned, heavy, thick-skinned Concord grapes, like they grow in the Northeast, you can just basically squeeze them, and the grape part pops out of the thick skin. That's what a quail eggs like peeling.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just pick the shallow and grab it, and it's almost like it'll just you know peel right off around it as one continuous strip. It's, it's pretty easy. I have not tried the purple nurples that you suggested yet.
0: Um, I, I have this suspicion that that might be... One of the greatest delicacies of mankind. Um, for those that don't know, what a per- you can make it real complicated, but the simple way to make them is just you get your pickled beets and you eat them and leave the juice behind and throw hard-boiled eggs in there in the ref- and leave them in the refrigerator for a week. Um, I know people that, like, go through the whole process of, like, pickling them. It's like a new second round. But to me, just throw them in the beet juice. And I've done that with chicken eggs my whole life. And when I heard about how many eggs you were producing, I just thought, oh, my God, it's like quail egg caviar beet juice. I, it just has to be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've done the pickled eggs. I have
1: I have quite a few jars of those. I just haven't gone with the beet juice yet, but I'm sure I will eventually. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, eat fresh eggs, boil them. Uh, I also have, between me and my roommate, we have two uh, American Bulldogs and one pug, and uh They eat, you know, the raw food diet. So they eat mostly rabbit and quail eggs and rice is pretty much what their diet consists of. So they get a lot of quail eggs also. Um, I give them away. I give them to my neighbors, give them to my parents, um, which they don't even eat them. My mom blows them and then uses them as decorations around their house. Oh, cool. I thought that was kind of funny. I, she's like, "Hey, let me have some eggs." I'm like, "Okay, you know, I you know, give her a couple dozen." And then I see her a couple weeks later. I say, "Hey, how'd you like them? Oh, they're great!" Like, "Okay, yeah." And then I, I see her again. You know, you want some more? And then I ask her like, "How'd she like the taste of them?" She goes, "Oh, I didn't eat them." I'm like, "Wait, what? What'd you what'd you do with them?" She starts showing me. She's got them on all her shelves and just in all different kinds of decorated areas. And I say, "What? Well, if I'd known you were doing that, I would have picked like, out nicer looking ones before I gave them to you." But uh that's another thing that you can do with them too, I guess.
0: Yeah, my grandmother was into that with chicken eggs. She was Ukrainian, and apparently it's like a, a Ukrainian art where she would blow – you put a little pinhole in the top, a little pinhole in the bottom, for those who don't know what you mean by blow them, and you blow the egg out of the shell so it's empty. And she would paint them with different colors of wax. So you take wax and you melt it in a pot and you put an undercoat, and then you take a different color of wax. And she, these things that she made, you know, it was almost impossible to believe. Like, my grandmother did that. Um, and there's, there's like a whole art form around that that, you know, actually I'd totally forgotten about till this moment right now when you mentioned blowing out the eggs. Yeah. Is that like a Fabergé egg? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was a wax painted, I mean, it would, she would do them, uh, you know, kind of around Easter and things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So that's another thing that, uh, they do with them, um. I've also, I've considered selling them. Uh, where I am, you don't need a permit or anything to sell them to direct to the consumer. As long as you have under 3,000 hens, you're considered small scale. So could also do that. Um, but between my dogs and my friends and my neighbors, they, you know, do pretty well getting rid of them.
0: I mean, you've got a you, you are, did, did you ever done the math and figured out like annually what your annual egg production is?
1: Um, no, I haven't counted all of them. I just kind of count and sample them here and there and take averages.
0: Would you say so it's like about it's, fifty a day?
1: It's more than that.
0: Okay, so let's use fifty a day. That's eighteen thousand a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how would you say it's about four and a half, five make a chicken egg?
1: Yeah, yeah. They they average about twelve grams. Um, I've had some it's, that were up to like twenty one grams before,
0: and yeah. I had to
1: do a do a double take. I looked at that and I looked at the bird and I'm like. This egg's bigger than your head. I don't really even, know how that happened. But.
0: Even if we say it's five quail eggs to one chicken egg, and we say a minimum of 50 a day, that would mean you're producing the equivalent in egg yield of 3,650 chicken eggs a year. And wow. I think probably with a lot less work than it would take to produce that many chickens. Chickens are just more work.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, this is a two-foot by four-foot footprint in my garage, too. It's it's all stacked vertically Um, I mean, it's eight and a half feet tall, so I got to use a step ladder to get up to the top cage, but I could, I couldn't raise nearly that many chickens in two foot by four foot, even if I went, you know, CAFO style on it, which I'm not about to do.
0: Sure. Sure. What, where, where did you get your equipment? Did you just like build it yourself or did you buy it pre-built? I'm talking about the caging itself.
1: It's all, it's all just built by me. Um, it's, it looks kind of like something red-green would throw together, you know, some two-by-fours and wire and things I had left over, and the brooders just made out of some leftover plywood. Um, I pretty much put it together as a prototype, and I'll eventually remake it with, you know, sheet metal and some other things like that. But I just wanted to see, you know, how it would work and what I needed to change before I spent the money on doing the metal. Um, I looked at the, the commercial egg-laying pens that they make and kind of mimicked what they did there, except that, you know, just using... Half inch hardware cloth and two by fours, basically.
0: Okay. Um, do you have any photos of this or anything online? I mean, you'd mentioned something about doing a, a forum thread for us, or?
1: Yeah, I took a bunch of photos. I got to put that put it together. I'm going to make a thread for it. Uh, I'm just working about 60 hours a week right now, so time's a, a bit of a crunch. But I've been taking photos of everything all the way through, and I'll, I'll throw one up in the critters forum here because I don't have a website or anything right now. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's really nothing too fancy to look at. It's just some two by fours and some cage wire, but it's all just stacked vertically on top of each other and it it really works great.
0: And you, let's, let's kind of give the dimensions of the, 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 the cages again are, uh, four by two, but you divide them into two by two. Um, you use, what's, what's the, the hardware cloth sizes that you use on the sides and the back and the bottom, stuff like that?
1: I used a half-inch-by-half-inch half hardware cloth. And the reason I went with two-foot-by-four-foot is just because that makes it easy dimensions when you're buying lumber. And
0: sure.
1: And I had the, the cage wire I got, or the, uh, the hardware cloth I got, because it's not actually cage wire, it's a thinner gauge, was a four-foot-wide roll. So I was like, I don't want to be too difficult here. I'll just do that and roll them up into a cage. And then the tops of them I made out of, I just used some leftover two-inch-by-four-inch cage wire that I would made the rabbit cages out of. So okay. those are kind of little hodgepodge, but for the most part of it, it's half inch by half inch hardware cloth, and it's you know just the stuff you can get at the local hardware store.
0: And that's the same um, with the floor. The floor yep. is the same thing. Yep, four sides, the, top. Yep. And then the front, you use a bigger stock so that they can get their heads through to the feeders on the outside. And what, what was that?
1: Yeah, the doors are two inch by four inch cage wire, which is the same stuff I use for the rabbit cages, and they can stick their heads right through that.
0: So it's just the door, that, so you hang the food on the outside of the door, well, or is the whole front like a big door that comes down?
1: Yep. Um, it's, it's okay. one door per two by two, so.
0: And, and you said you put the, the, the cages so your floors are two inches higher in the back than they are in the front, so the eggs roll forward. So you have, you have to open your cages to get your, cause I've seen some that are almost like I said, like a pencil dispenser where the eggs come out, but you're not doing that. You're just opening it and reaching and grabbing your eggs.
1: Yeah, that was the original plan was I was going to have it roll underneath the feeder and come out to like a tray, like how they do it, just so it's easier to grab. And then yeah. when I started adding up, I would have been like one one cage short on wire and I didn't want to buy any more. So I was like, ah, I can open the doors and reopen.
0: Open and the door. It's, yeah, it's probably not that big a deal anyway. Because no, I was it's, looking it's, at it's how big, they did it, and I went, if you're doing like – a hundred cages and you're in this for commercial production, I think that probably makes sense. But for a small-scale producer, it's probably more trouble to build than it's worth.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. It's really not bad. I mean, you stick your hand in there, they don't heck you or do anything like that. Um, <laughs> I I grab the eggs before I feed them because if you dump the feed in, they'll rush to the front, and then you're trying to push them back, and every once in a while, they'll jump out of the cage. Then you got to chase them around the garage and catch them again which is fun. The, they don't really fly well, <laughs> something I've noticed. I thought that if they if they flew well. I've read, you know, things about people clipping their wings so they don't fly yeah. away. Yeah. I'm not saying they can't fly, but mine can't fly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I've had one,
1: I've had one, a couple of jailbreaks where, you know, one gets out and I'm trying to grab another, another one, jumps out, and I chased one down my driveway once, it just scooped it up, no problems. Ran, picked it up. I didn't really know what to do. I had another time where one ran and it was. I ended up trapping it between uh, in one of my swales.
0: So yeah.
1: It, it was running away from me, and I had my dog stay. And I went around to the other side and started like pushing it towards the dog. And then he didn't really want to go towards the dog, so he jumped up and went over the little cougar culture bed, and the dog chased it, but he stopped and he didn't fly away. I went and grabbed him. I don't. Huh. I don't really think they could clear a four foot fence. I mean, uh. if they were in a fly pen and they had some practice, maybe,
0: Yeah. but
1: right now they really just slow their descent.
0: They, I'll tell you, they, I'm getting more and more of the opinion that I don't need any chickens here at all. I think ducks <laughs> and these things are I, – I, I'm just seeing, like, if that's the case, how I could easily move a couple hundred every day and, and cycle them through – with a lot less maintenance than chickens require. And, uh, now my question is, is on the inside outside thing. Where are you located? Cause I'm in Texas and I'm thinking if I try to do a breeding operation inside in the, in the heat down here, I might have a real problem.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm in southeast Michigan. Okay. So kind of different climates there. Um, when I started reading about them, I read that they liked like 75 degree weather. And I didn't really find too much stuff about them on how they would do in cold weather. So this winter's been a bit of an experiment. And they've been really fine. I've been very, very impressed with how hardy these birds are. Um, I make the joke around here that I accidentally kill far more plants than I do critters. Um, They're just, they're really, really hardy. The only trouble I had is we had about a week where it was around zero degrees outside. um, And they were not too happy then their, their egg production went down to about 50%, and I actually lost one of my egg layers and one of them out of the brooder. Um, but other than that, it's been around, you know, in the mid-20s here, and they're they're fine. It's a little bit warmer in the garage just from all the body heat from the uh, the rabbits and the birds, so it stays about 10, 15 degrees warmer in there than outside, but the garage is not heated. Um, I actually feel kind of weird calling it a garage. It's more like a carriage house. I don't even <laughs> know that you could keep a, ma- a match lid in there on a windy day. Uh, it's like a one, one car carriage house. I tried to pull my car in there before to do a brake job and I had to like come in at an angle to work my way around the mirror because I couldn't even fit it straight in. So it's a, it's a real small space, but they've done really, really well in the cold. And um I mean, it'd be interesting to see how, how they do in, you know, over 100 degree temperature, but. Yeah. If you lose a couple, then, oh, well, their genes don't get there. the the next ones.
0: Yeah, they're the ones that don't need to be here. Because what I'm thinking here is I've got this outbuilding. Originally, I was going to turn basically into a chicken coop, and I I really don't think I'm going to do that. And it'd be interesting if I could set up the type of system you're talking about and at the same time come up with a way where the, the birds have an option of an inside or an outside, kind of like they do with kennel dog runs, where there's like a little doggy door there, It would be a quail door that they can go in and out and have an outside run and an inside run. Um, that seems like it would offer them the ability to thermoregulate, and if I did, because I'm not trying to put the density in that you would be, I could do a couple side-by-side runs. They could have access to the ground.
1: Oh, yeah. I bet they would love that.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah if I could do a couple, is- I could do like a couple adjoining runs so that I could almost, I could rotate them through too. That's that's an interesting idea. And yeah, I'm talking yeah. about just my layers here because it, to me, your idea of tractoring them once they're old enough seems like a really good idea.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, they'll just keep getting bigger. And I mean, if they can eat a little bit of their feet out there, you know, a little bit of grass finished quail, that'll be great. Um, one of the the guy that I had talked to that raises them commercially, what they do is they put them in a fly pen, which he described it to me as kind of like a hoop house greenhouse, but with netting over it instead of you know the material to make it a greenhouse, and okay. they put them in there and let them fly around. But those are bob whites. They, they're a little bit different bird and they use those for hunting purposes. So they, and they
0: want them to, to fly. fly. Yeah. Yeah. They don't yeah. want them to be too, too domesticated. They're selling them to the hunting preserves and what have you. Yeah.
1: And then they so, run in there with a butterfly not to grab them all.
0: Sounds <laughs> 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 like managing pigeons in a pigeon coop, man. Um, yeah. So. What what are some suburban-specific issues to consider? Because I've got this nice semi-rural area here, and I can get away with all kinds. I My mind is swimming now with all of the crap I can get away with, So I don't care if they do their quail crow or whatever that is. My neighbors all have roosters crowing every morning anyway. Um, but in a suburban environment, there might be some things you have to consider uniquely, but they also seem like they solve a lot of those problems because you could do them in a garage or a, a shed or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... Really just noise and smell. Um, it comes down to, you know, what people don't see, they don't smell, they don't hear, they don't bitch about. So yeah. simple as that. I actually, the, the lot that I'm on, it's a, my house is like a 1927 Craftsman, and the house next to it is a, a 1920 log cabin. And they actually split the lot. It's a really old suburb. So my property line runs just dead center down my driveway, and my garage is actually on the property line. Like you, you couldn't build it today. You wouldn't be able to get a permit for it. Um, and my neighbors, they had no idea. I figured they had to have known. They knew I had rabbits. Um, I figured they had to know I have quail. The guy's out there doing some trim molding and he's cutting like ten feet from my garage and that was when I had my really annoying rooster and he just kept crowing and crowing and crowing. So I went over there and I you know, I started talking to him. I offered him some eggs. I said, Hey, you know, I'm sorry about that, I'll be getting rid of him soon, you know, I just I don't want you to think like this is the new thing or whatever and he was like, What are you talking about? He had no idea. I mean he's standing right next but as I'm talking to him, the bird's crowing. And he was just like, I just thought that was a bird. Like uh-huh. it's a wild bird. Huh. Wow! So, he they would have had no idea unless I went over there and told them. And then like the next time he was over there working on his house because he didn't live there right away, he was working on it for a while. His dad came over and he's like, "Hey, want to go see your quail?" I'm like, "Okay." So you know, let him in the garage and they checked it out. He thought it was the coolest thing ever. And then my other neighbor on the other side, he has no idea. I mean, his thirty his yards thirty feet away from it, no clue. That's <laughs> so. awesome. As long as you, you know, you take care of those things, stay up on the upkeep of, of getting rid of the poop and stuff, there's really no smell to it. Um one thing I've noticed is as long as you can keep the droppings dry, there's a lot less smell than if they're getting wet. Yeah.
0: So You've got those- me thinking here, I'm gonna shift gears on you, I'm sorry, because I, I need to know this now. <laughs> I have a compulsion to know this. I'm just thinking, uh, you know, if you can put them in a two foot by two foot area inside, then giving a, a group, let's say, you know, uh, a male and four females double that distance as a tractor. That's a pretty small tractor and it could include basically an indoor outdoor thing within the tractor itself. So it would have basically each little tractor would have its own little indoor thing. Yes. If you put hardware cloth on the bottom big enough to keep the birds in, then I guess the only thing you'd have to do to make sure that you didn't miss any eggs is, well, I guess you could just do what you're doing and make sure there's an angle to the floor because I, what I'm getting at is I don't think they would go inside to lay eggs. They're, they seem to just lay an egg wherever the heck they feel like.
1: Yeah, they just they just pop a squat and drop an egg. They don't really okay. put it in a corner or really do anything with it.
0: But you could create the angle at the bottom of your your, your tractor so that basically you'd have these little breeder tractors and alongside your, you know, and the only thing you'd have to do is go out and collect your eggs and move your tractors every day. Yeah,
1: that's a great idea.
0: Because i got three acres, oh, so there's no reason for me to shut these things up. And, and if I gave them some shade cloth so that they could get a, you know, so they had some sunny spots, some shady spots, and an indoor spot, it seems like they should be able to sort themselves out pretty well.
1: Yeah. yeah huh. sure. I
0: was actually and thinking I could that... Feed them on, I could just throw their feet in their cage and... I wouldn't worry about making a mess. and I know I'm making yeah. you had an anchor to work with here, but it just seems like a really simple solution. You're getting me more excited and my brain's turning faster. Yeah,
1: yeah and then just, you know, hook up some sort of watering system on the top, maybe like a five-gallon bucket, gravity-fed, to.
0: Oh, yeah, a couple tractor supply wheels with something that basically you could just push it along, mm-hmm. um, basically a little bit of a rotate and would basically – so you could rotate your wheels down. That would, you know – yeah, I, I, I'm not going to go into the engineering, but yeah, I got it now. It's all in yeah. my head. I'd have these things yeah. that would be about, uh, let's say, two foot by six foot long, and yeah. that would be a pa- it would be a paradise for oh, these yeah. things.
1: Little quail trapolis for them.
0: Oh. One, uh, all right.
1: <laughs> one thing I was thinking about doing with the tractors is I also want to make a tractor for my grow out rabbits. So once I wean them away. And yeah. uh, I consider basically running the rabbits right in front of the birds and doing kind of a little mini uh, felton herbivore followed by the uh, omnivore thing. I don't really know how well that worked, but it might no, work. Not well. For,
0: that's So for, instead of following uh, uh, chickens with hogs, you're following rabbits with uh, with with quail.
1: Well, well, instead of cows, and then followed by yeah, chickens, yeah. yeah, rabbits, and then followed by quail.
0: Are there some things that, like, people should avoid doing, maybe some mistakes you've made that, you know, would be a good idea not to uh, repeat?
1: Oh, yeah. i got about two pages here filled up of mistakes I made. Um, first one, if you've never hatched eggs before, you need practice at it. It's not – you're not going to get 100% of them at any time. Um, it really is something that you need to work at, and you're going to have mistakes. You're going to fail. Just keep trying, keep taking notes of what's going on, and you'll eventually get your system locked on to where you're you're able to consistently do it. Um, It really comes down to getting everything in the right, like, zone, temperature, humidity, turning, oxygen flow, ambient temperature of the room, ambient humidity. Everything really matters when it comes down to it. It's it's similar to hatching chicken eggs. So if you can hatch a chicken egg, you have no problem hatching a quail egg. If you're like me and you've never hatched anything before, it can be very, very frustrating when you're getting started. And I've seen
0: ones that'll turn the eggs for you. Is it probably worth the investment for those things or?
1: Yes. Unless you want to be turning eggs, you know, three to six times a day. And I I don't have time for that. Um, I, I'm doing this to basically raise as much food for myself as I can. I don't want to make more work for myself. So any way that I can automate this, I do that. I automate all my watering and everything like that. Um, one thing that I found really helps is if you can find a consistent spot to hatch them out. I've been using my basement, and spring, like the spring uh, time, is a lot different than the summer. The humidity is different. There's more moisture in the ground, which kind of soaks through into the, the basement, so the humidity's higher. The summer was different. The fall has been different. Winter has been different. Every season kind of has a little bit different thing to it that you need to adjust for. So in the winter, I'm having a lot harder time getting my humidity up. Whereas in the summer, I needed to use a dehumidifier to get it down. I ended up using, I had built an old uh, fermentation chamber for brewing beer a couple of years ago. It's just basically a two foot by four foot box that's insulated. I went with two by four because it was cheaper on the plywood. And then I put a window AC unit in the back of it. And I, you know, hacked it so I could just get it down to about 36 degrees and do some lagering. But uh, I ended up just kind of taking the beer stuff out of there and putting my incubators in there because that gave me a really consistent environment to put them in. And it turns out I like quail meat a lot more than I like lager anyway. So I think they might stay in there for a little bit. Um, So, yeah, hatching can be a little bit difficult. They they do need a light cycle that's consistent. If the light gets less than about 16 hours a day, they'll get a little bit spotty with their laying. Um, at first I had my light turned to 14 hours a day because that's what I'd read for the rabbits and I figured that would be fine for the quail. They were laying about, you know, 60, 70% of the time and then I upped it to 16 hours and then their egg production went right back up. Yeah.
0: So for me, with my idea of this natural quail tractoring process, layers and all outside, I'm going to definitely have a wane off and, and I'm not going to be in, in production mode. Through the, the the deeper part of the winter. Yeah. Yep.
1: Okay. Unless you can put some sort of maybe like a, a solar light on there. They don't need a lot of light. They only need. I have okay. one fluorescent light bulb hanging in the garage, and that's on a So
0: timer. okay, so you could do something with a a, a light sensitive fluorescent solar to add four or five hours of light for them. Yeah. That's real yep. simple. That's yeah. that's not a lot of energy. That's a that's a fifteen watt deer feeder solar panel. Uh, per tractor, probably per two tractors if you, if you do it right. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs>
1: yeah. You could probably get away with doing those like solar garden lights too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you That's got something of that thinking. Yeah. Well, I think yep. that maybe what would work really good is a string of LEDs on the inside of the cage, <laughs> like a string of a hundred LED Christmas lights, white, um, and a, a, a little bit of a solar charger. And a timer that ran them for maybe four hours, and your, you know, uh, and then we went ahead and went out, so that they would have like this extended twilight period.
1: Yep. Yeah. You don't need to run the light the whole time. You just need to extend what you have. So you know, a little bit of on the need, at the end.
0: If the if I'm down to ten hours of daylight, I give give them six hours of supplemental, and then they're still going to have eight hours of dark. Yep. yep.
1: Okay. Um, the high protein food that went over that, you need at least twenty four percent. The higher you can get, the better. I'm going to start experimenting with doing some sprouting and also raising some either mealworms or black soldier fly larvae for them, and okay. how much I can cut my feed by that. I'm also going to do the fodder system for the rabbits. That's on my uh, one of my 13 things I want to do in 2013. So that's on the list. I'm going to get that done and hopefully keep some numbers for that. Um, the Purina Game Bird Starter is what I normally use, and that's from hatch to graduation. It's 27% protein. If you can get something higher, you might want to try it. It might give you a little bit better results. Uh, but if you get below that 24%, they're not going to be as good as they could be. They'll be alive. They'll be fine, but they're not going to lay as large eggs or as consistently, and they're not going to grow as fast. Um, another thing I've noticed is they don't really like to, to be moved around a lot as far as, Taking one bird out of one cage and putting it in another, and like kind of shuffling them around. When you do that, they kind of they need to establish a new pecking order. So there'll be a little yeah, bit of squabble and some fighting. I found out that if you keep them with the same ones they hatch with, you can have a really high stocking density. Okay. Like you, just, you hatch out fifty birds, and you kind of whittle them down from there. They're they're all friendly with each other. They're all from the same clutch or brood or whatever you call it.
0: Again, they're behaving like fish. There, that's that's very yeah. similar.
1: Yeah, but if you introduce a new one into it, they'll pick on it.
0: Now, with your layers, then I guess the way you minimize that is you, you keep your hen groups together and cycle your roosters through.
1: Yeah, Yep. Okay, okay. Yep. Um, yep, so another thing I noticed is if you, you're hatching them out and, like, say, one or two hatch. Wait until you have a few of the baby chicks before you put them in the brooder, because if you put some in the brooder and then you put some new ones in the brooder like you know six hours later, if you only put one or two, the ones that were in there first will kind of pick on the new ones, but if you put them in there like a group of like five or at least they're fine they'll they'll kind of look after each other, so they like being in in the same groups that they started with, and then that kind of minimizes the fightings um the stocking densities, we kind of touched on that, but I'll go over it one more time. For the layers, uh, the commercial systems that I looked at, they run about 3.75 birds per square foot. I don't really know how you get .75 of a bird, but maybe it's a small one. Um, what I've done in mine is three birds per square foot. I've put them up to four birds per square foot, and this is for layers, full ground. So that would be 16 birds in a two-by-two. Two. They were okay. Um, I didn't really notice anything. I there was really no reason to keep that many in there. I mean, you could do one bird per square foot if you want. You could do one bird per 10 square feet if you want to do that also. It's all up to you. But I I wouldn't really go higher than four per square foot for the full-grown ones. You probably could, but, again, I, I'm just not really comfortable with that. Uh, the brooder, I've put up to 12 per square foot in there. No problem. I mean, they're the size of a golf ball. So uh-huh. it sounds like a lot, but when you look at them, you're like, wow, those are little, and they're all huddling together anyway. Uh, the grow-out pens, I've done those about six per square foot. So that's like the in-between stage when they're about the size of, you know, maybe a, a little bit smaller than a baseball.
0: Do you think that if, with my idea of tractoring them is is as full-time as possible? Obviously, they're still going to need a brooder for when they're in that really young stage because they don't have a broody hand to take care of them. When they came out of that brooder, do you think they're going to absolutely have to go into something more sheltered to grow out, or do you think that they would be able to move into a, a mobile system like that that's that's outdoors, assuming that they had the choice of sunlight, shade, or cover?
1: I think they would be fine. They're, the reason I keep them in a the brooder for three weeks is that's how long it takes them to feather out. So yeah. once they have their feathers, they can really thermal regulate. And uh, yeah. the light that I keep in my brooder, I don't... I had read a bunch of things about, you know, the temperature and then decrease it by this much per day. I don't even do any of that. They they just regulate themselves. Like the light's in one spot. If they're cold, they go under it. If they're hot, they go away from it. If you go in there and look and they're all huddled under the light, then I'll turn the dimmer up a little bit. If uh-huh. they're all, you know, pressed away from it, then I know it's too hot. And I'll, you know, change the bulbs out and put a weaker bulb in there. But at three weeks, they have feathers. So they're pretty good at that time.
0: Yeah, that's just, here's, cause here's what I'm thinking for these tractors now. I'm with you. I don't cut things unless I have to. So two by fours come in eight foot lengths. Yep. So a two foot by eight foot tractor, uh, with two foot uh, set up is to be, uh, almost like a little mobile coop. Uh, so it's completely covered with a little door they can go in. Uh, then about, uh, two, you got, you got, you got six feet remaining. So you take three of that two feet and cover it with 60% shade cloth. And then leave three of the last three feet open to the sun. So then they have the ability to come under shade, to go into cover, or to go out in the full sun. And, yeah, and all you, you got to cut is two foot pieces of wood to connect your eight foot pieces of wood with.
1: Yeah, I thought they would love that. <laughs> that
0: You're really creating you. a new thing right here. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> You got any more on that that, that list of yours of uh, things not to do without me interrupting you maybe <laughs> Um
1: it's getting pretty close to the end there um okay. you know keep try to keep the, the food or the uh, the waste as dry as possible to minimize smell Um, One thing I did for the watering system, I don't think I talked about that yet, is I have a five-gallon bucket that's suspended up in the rafters in my garage, and then I have a a stock tank float valve hooked to that, which is hooked to my hose. I'll just turn that on, it'll fill the bucket up, and then shut off when it gets full. And then from there, it's just all gravity-fed. And that feeds that five-gallon bucket, waters all nine of my rabbit hutches, and then all ten of the quail cages. Okay. Um, They go through about five gallons a day between all of them.
0: The water itself that they're feeding from, they're getting their water from the the birds, is it like a drip thing with like a nipple, or what what are you using?
1: The one that I went with, it's a little cup I got off eBay. It's a cup with like a little yellow um, valve in it, and as they reach towards the bottom of the the cup to get the last of the water, they'll bump the valve, which will let more water in. I had looked at the other ones that were the uh, the nipple kind. I, I know you had that guy on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, I almost bought those ones, and the, the only reason I didn't was because I was worried about the water dripping onto their waist. And
0: getting yeah, flat, yeah.
1: And I thought these ones might keep it a little drier. When I build my tractor, I'll probably end up going with the, the nipple version just because, you know, I'll try something new.
0: And yeah. Can you, know, like you get me maybe a link to an example of one of those, uh, the ones you do use for uh, for the show notes?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I got them off eBay. It's uh, Deep Time is the name of them. They're just little cuffs, but I'll send you a link to them.
0: Yeah, send me a link to them so I make sure I'm, I'm showing people exactly what you're using. Because if if I don't, they're going to ask. And and if it works, I'm a big believer in doing what already works. So can yeah. we, as we wrap up here, can we talk a little bit about selective breeding to improve your stock?
1: Sure. Um, oh, one more thing with those waters that I like about them is you can disassemble them and replace the O-rings inside, too.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: So I bought a couple extra ones and was messing around with them. And you can just pop them apart and change the O-rings on them if they ever go bad. Which was a, a nice selling point for me. Um, yeah, so selective breeding—it um, really depends on what your goals are. There's a lot of people out there that are working with, you know, different animals. There's a, a nice group on backyard chickens that's working with quail. At least they were, and they're in about their 15th generation right now, and they've been selective breeding just to make really, really big birds. And it's really, really cool what they've been able to do, uh, just by, you know, culling hard, as they say. So when I do it, I like to, I'll weigh out the eggs that I'm going to hatch, and I don't hatch an egg if if it's under 12 grams. I try to only hatch eggs that are 14 grams plus, but I generally don't get enough of those ones. And as you hatch the bigger eggs, a bigger egg is going to make a bigger bird. Every day, that bird almost doubles in size, at least for the first couple of weeks. So if you have a 12-gram egg and then you have a 14-gram egg, at the end of three weeks, that one that hatched out the 14-gram egg, is way bigger than the twelve gram one, and the twelve okay. gram one's just never going to catch up to it.
0: so we can start with the egg. that's the that's the place yep. to begin your calling coal cull early and coal hard,
1: yep, yep, so you can call at the uh, setting the eggs, and then if you hatch out more birds than you want, you could right, weigh them out, and then the ones that don't make the cut can you know be used for other purposes, um, sell them off and then buy feed with them to feed the rest of them up if you want to do that. So that's another version to call them and then, go from there to the brooder, and then the grow out. And the grow out, you have a large selection to pick from, so you can pick the ones that you want to do. Uh, one thing that I've noticed with people is, you know, how do I know which is the best one? Well, you, you really have to just kind of establish your guidelines for what you want to do. And it's not necessarily that you're picking the best bird. It's that you're picking the best one for your system or your climate or how you're raising them. So if we both hatched the same eggs, you might have different birds that did better than ones I did just because, they're going to do better in my system. They're going to adapt to that system, and over sure. time, you just keep working the ones out. Like the uh, the tilapia, I got a blue tilapia, and they're supposedly supposed to die at about fifty five degrees. Well, my groundwater comes out at about fifty five degrees. I had them in a, an Intex inflatable pool in the backyard a couple of years yeah. ago, and uh, I, you know, I had some small fish in there, and I did a water change. I wasn't even really thinking about it, and I just dumped the cold water in there right from the hose. And came back, and about ten percent of them were floating. Uh Oh, well, I scooped up the dead ones, and then three years later, I can dump the groundwater in there no problem, and I don't have any floaters. Got you. So you can, you know, morph the animal into your system a little bit more just by selecting the ones that do the best in your system. It's not really worrying about am I getting the best bird? Which one is better? I don't really know. It's you know, they're they're all going to do better in different areas. So years are probably going to you're going to you have something that'll go really large and they'll like the heat. And I have some that, you know, died when it got really cold out. Well, they don't pass their genes on. Game over for them.
0: Sure, sure. It makes sense. And it it might even be the case that it may be better here to grow a little bit smaller of a bird. Uh, Smaller birds sometimes deal with heat better. And I guess we'll find out because I I am completely sold on this this whole prospect. And uh, these little self can – it just seems like I can do so much more with so much less space. Um, and it's it's it, it to move a, a two foot by eight foot tractor once a day is just it, it's no big deal. And if even if you have four of them, you're talking about five minutes to to go out there pick up eggs, move them one footprint over, and and rock on with life for the rest of the day. And it, I know if Paul Wheaton listens to this show, he's going to be paddockum paddockum. If I paddock quail here, um, I will have uh, hawks. Um, literally in a circle, camped out, waiting for the next brood to come out. That's, it's not going to work, um, with the number of like crestles and stuff we have around here. Uh, but this tractoring idea would work beautifully.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love the paddock shift idea. Um, I just think, you know, there's different tools for different purposes. And if I could do that, I probably would do that. I have some ideas I've thought about possibly like a, a movable fly cage where I could yeah. move that around. Um, but you know, that'd just basically be a large tractor.
0: My only concern was if you get too big of a footprint with what you're moving and you're collecting eggs, since these things will lay anywhere, you're going to lose a lot of eggs that way.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing that would be concerning there. I think I would only use them for maybe growing out. And then if I did want to put the egg layers out on pasture, I'd probably would do your your idea there with the slanted floor. That sounds great. Um, yeah. And if not, I'd just let my dogs out and they'll find the ones that I didn't find. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they, they'll eat them shell and all. They love those little things.
0: So, uh, kind of a last question here for the person that's just getting started out. Most of the equipment, it sounds like, you can buy off the shelf stuff, build your own caging, real easy stuff. Where do you get your initially get your birds and your or you know uh, in, in your you know where do, your eggs or if you're going to start with hatching, which may not be the best way to go, or your birds if you're going to start out with birds. And uh, what about incubators? Is there like a good supply of those? Um,
1: if I was if I was comfortable hatching eggs. Um I would have no problem just buying eggs off the internet and trying. You're going to get a lower hatch rate by getting chipped eggs. Um, I checked Craigslist and I found live birds for a dollar each for, you know, I, the ones I got ended up being like three weeks old when I got them. They were only a buck each. So okay. there was like two or three people within my area that were selling them consistently. Like every couple of weeks they would throw them up. So I made my cage, and so just kind of waited for them. And once I saw them up, I went out and bought them. Um, if you, you know, that's the way I would start. If you're not comfortable hatching eggs or you haven't done it before, just because then you have a sure thing. And then once you start getting your own eggs, you know, if you set an incubator full and they don't really work out that well, you know, oh, well, those were eggs you could have eaten instead of the you know, ones you paid for and waited for them to get there and, you know, some special Texas A&M bird or something. Uh, the incubator, I got one of them as a hand-me-down from a friend, and then the other one I got off a you know, Craigslist. The All the equipment I pretty much just made myself – bought the things i needed i bought like the watering systems i bought the cage wire and the uh the troughs for the feeders i made that out of the not really pvc pipe i think it's soil pipe is what they call it or drain pipe um two by four scrap wood it's really not that big of requirements the uh the rabbits needed more specific like cage requirements because you couldn't use like a hardware cloth on the rabbit floor it'll it'll snag too much but the birds are so light no problem
0: very cool any uh, any final thoughts on those that think this sounds cool but but think it might be a little bit too complicated?
1: I would say just do it. Um, I I sat on the fence for it for a while. I did a lot of research and was thinking about it, and then you know kept running in my brother brother in law, and he's you know did you do it yet? Did you do it? He's the one who really convinced me. He's like, man, it's so easy, just go do it. So that that's my advice for people is just just go do it. You're going to make mistakes, but that's okay. You're not going to learn any other way, so you might as well start. Um, you don't want to be trying to do it when you absolutely need it and learning on the fly.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Better practice now when you, you have the time. Um, I would just say just, just get started on it. Um, one cool thing that I, I saw on that Backyard Chicken website was uh, they were doing, like, egg exchanges between people, so they all had kind of set the same guidelines as far as, you know, we're only setting eggs this big. If they're not at this point, at, you know, this time, call them. And then every so often they just, like, will mail eggs to each other swap them around to keep the bloodlines going, you know, without getting them to inbred. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, if there's more TSP listeners that start getting into doing quail, maybe you know, set something up like that. That would be kind of fun to do, make a, a TSP bird. Something
0: like bird that. eggs exchange. Good way to diversify your genetics and, and bring yes. in new traits and and things like that. Um, I am, I'm on Craig's list right now, and I've already found a supplier that's uh, it's about 60 miles away, but it wouldn't be like I'd be driving out there weekly. It would be a a, a single uh, expedition to pick them up. So uh, if if I have that, then the odds are that most people have that somewhere near them if they'll check their, their Craigslist and eBay, what have you. And it might be yeah. good, too, because if you're going to go buy from someone that's breeding, uh, it would give you an opportunity to look actually and see uh, how they're doing things.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was what was great for me is I went there and saw what they were doing, and I was like, oh, it completely changed my mind of what I was capable of doing. I was thinking a bird per square foot. And then when yeah. I saw this set up, I, I pulled out my little tape measure I keep in my pocket and measured it out. I was like, holy cow. And uh it was also cool to see they had Muscovy ducks, like, free-ranging everywhere. It was about a 10-acre parcel. They had a Joe Selton, um chicken tractor, like, just Joe Selton spec set out there. I was like, oh, cool, chicken tractor. And then I did a second look at it, and it was full of rabbits. Looked, oh wow! I looked at the lady and I go, is that a rabbit tractor? She gets this funny look on her face like, nobody knows what the hell that is. Yeah. She goes, yes, that is a rabbit tractor. So I, I started asking her questions about that, and apparently they use the the chicken tractor. When they're not using it for chickens, they'll just put their rabbits in there to grow out. They don't keep their breeders in there. Just the, the I got it. They're growing, out
0: their, they're growing out their their, their their fryer bunnies in there, and that's, yep. Yep. I think that's what Joel's son is doing. Actually, is they have all their breeders in conventional hutches, but they grow out there once their bunnies are big enough to handle it. They're out in tractors, and it it just seems like a better life for them. I mean, let's yeah. let's face it; these these birds are looking at 50, 60 days till uh, till they meet a sharp pair of shears. Uh, they might as well have a, a, as fulfilling as a life as they possibly can while they're uh, while they're they're becoming. Uh, potentially bacon-wrapped, uh, jalapeno-infused uh, deliciousness.
1: Exactly. Yep. <laughs> I agree with that. I would I would like to do the, the tractor method. Uh, the reason I started with the conventional method is just because I figured I'm going to need somewhere to put them in the winter. Um, I yeah. might as well start with something tried and true, and then I can move towards more experimental setups. It's not really good starting with an animal you don't know anything about, and a setup that nobody really knows about. That just seems like a recipe for disaster to me. Yeah. But
0: and it may be. We'll find out. But uh,
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sure you'll do fine.
0: <laughs> I, I think there's been enough work done that you know what the needs are. So yeah. it, it, it seems like that. And the other side of it is if you if you practice some of the stuff you're talking about, which, would, which are the ones that don't make it or just you can tell they're not handling it well, go ahead and cull those. Eventually you'll end up with stock that can handle it. And yeah. I guess that's another big reason for people to consider check your Craigslist, check, you know, classified ads and stuff and try to find birds from local stock because they're already somewhat adapted to your climate. Yeah, yeah,
1: I agree with that for sure. That's where I got my rabbits as well, and they, they've done great here too.
0: Yeah, that's something that's a little bit tougher down here because they're furry. You know, they people do it and they, they have some success, but they, they have a lot of stress on on them as well. Um, Marjorie Wallcraft's done pretty good with rabbits in Texas, but I think it took her a while to find some, you know, find some genetic lines that basically just started to do better.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And with the rabbits too, I think it takes them at least six months before their breeding age. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the breed. With the quail, I mean, they're already breeding at ten weeks. So you can get through five to six generations in a year. Yeah. So you can select really hard quickly and, uh, get them to where they want to go. Whereas a rabbit, you know, you, you raise one up six months later and then you go to breed it and it ends up being a terrible mother. You know, it's kind of a waste of time, kind of annoying, but, the birds
0: are. You're through a whole year by the time you, yeah, you're through a whole year by the time you know that where I can be through three, four generations in that same time frame.
1: Yeah. It took me almost an entire year to get my rabbit, um, production up to being, you know, having good producing does full in my cages instead of ones that i fed for eight months and then turned out to be duds
0: hmm very cool yeah um, as that, soon as you that's know that's you've another got another that with another, with yeah as soon as you know you've got something not producing he it just gets bacon wrapped and and you're on your on your way to something else that's right yeah. very cool well, hey, Brad, uh, you didn't let me down, man. I've, I've really been excited about getting you on, and I'm probably more excited now about quail than I've ever been before. I hope a lot of other folks out there will take your advice and follow the, uh, the credo of the great Nike and, and just do it, because I think it's probably one of the easiest ways into meat production and egg production that a, a person can do. It certainly sounds, from a standpoint of a productivity-to-input world, less work than dealing with chickens.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've never dealt with chickens, so I don't know exactly, but it's been really easy. Um, The hardest thing has been hatching and getting them right, and then that changes with each season. But once you've got that button down, it's I am very impressed with how hardy these birds are. Um, One more great thing about it that that I don't think I mentioned before was it's on-the-hoof meat production with a really low number of breed stock, so you get to choose how many eggs you set based on your needs. You're not really limited by the animal's gestation capacity. So, like, if I want more birds, I can set more eggs. If I want more rabbits, I can't really go up to my doe and, like, twist its ear or pull on its tail and tell me, hey, I want you to give me 20 rabbits this time. <laughs> you know, there's there's no real way yeah. to modify that. It's going to yeah. give me what it's going to give me. But with the quail, I can set as many eggs as I want, I set as many as my incubator can handle, or I can handle the brood out. You know, if I only want to do 10, I'll only do 10 if I want to – fill up 240 I'll do 240.
0: Sure and if you need if you decide well I want to do 20 more um you're talking about adding a layer even if you're using every bit of what's coming out you're not talking about adding you know four of them you're talking about adding one, just letting yep. one bird out of your last batch come up and become a layer. Yeah
1: yep so you can Very keep your cool. breed stock low and you can if you ever need to you can just up your production at will.
0: And the, the, the feed that they use is pretty well storable as well. So from the prepper standpoint, if you'll say, well, you have the input of the feed, but you can store plenty of feed, uh, for long duration. So, I mean, how much feed would you say you're using on your flock a a month?
1: Oh, probably 200 pounds.
0: Okay, 200 pounds. Yeah. So I mean, if you if you if you put up, you know, it sounds like a lot, but it's just a bunch of sacks, twelve hundred pounds. You got a year's worth of feed. I mean,
1: it's, yeah. It's, I mean, you're buying two hundred pounds worth of feed for hundred bucks.
0: Okay. Fifty cents a pound. Okay. Cool. Very cool, man. That, well, hey, I want
1: to. That's a little bit higher of a price. I get my feed from the local feed store. Instead of, I could probably get it cheaper from like character supply, but it's about the last thing that's still open on Main Street so I go pay that a couple of bucks but you could probably get it for 40 cents a pound if you
0: shop okay. around. very cool very cool well hey man I appreciate you being with us here today yes yeah, it's been great alright with that folks this has been Jack Spearco today along with Brad Davies helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't on our TVs sometimes we forget can't pay, nobody up there cares.